Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John and the 12th chapter. Gospel of John chapter 12. Let me get right into it. And let's use today to consider what great things happened with the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death initiated some serious, transcendent, stupendous events. And Jesus, just before he died, gave us a list of three. In John chapter 12, Jesus has told us that the hour has come for him to be glorified. It's in verse 23. He has described being buried in the ground in verse 24. He has told us that his soul was troubled in verse 27 with the prospect of the cruel and violent death of the cross. And the Father had promised him great glory in verse 28. And he said in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. For just a moment, we have the word signifying in verse 33. We have pointed out before that signifying is one of the verbs that the Bible uses on how God reveals truth. And when he signifies things to us, it is not plain. It is presented in pictures or metaphors or symbols or signs. Signifying. Now there's a signification in verse 32. If I be lifted up from the earth. And verse 33 tells us that that was signifying how he would die, what death he should die. And being lifted up was Roman crucifixion. Because you are lifted up from the earth on a cross, on a tree, as the Bible describes it, so that your feet are no longer touching earth, but you are lifted up. If he had died a Jewish death, Pilate tried to get the Jews to take care of it themselves. We're going to get to that passage. And the Jews said it's not lawful for us to put a man to death with Rome over us as a nation. And so he ended up dying a Roman death of being lifted up from the earth. But there's signification. And that you want to remember these examples in the Bible that we have of how the prophets signified things without stating them expressly. Sometimes things are stated expressly. Sometimes we need to think through them. We're going to come back to this statement because John is going to point out that when Pilate makes his ruling for him to be crucified, that this was fulfilled. Now, we had already had this in John chapter 3 and verse 14, if you have good memories, for as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so would the Son of Man be lifted up. That is, up on a pole, up on a cross, and so displayed. But we want verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I do believe that we are not going to get farther than John 12, 31a. Okay? You say both services? Both services. And I will still only give you part of what the Lord has for us. These are three transcendent events right here. Three. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I'm lifted up in crucifixion, I will draw all men, all kinds of men, to me is what the sense is of those words, and we'll get to that. We know that already because the context here is Gentiles coming to see Jesus back there in verses 20 through 22. But I want to turn you for a moment back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to look at another list that I have certainly popularized in our church because of its importance. I want you to see when the Lord gives us lists, 
that we should rejoice in them, that sometimes he summarizes some incredible events in a very short sentence. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing Timothy. They are separated from each other. And he tells Timothy in verse 15, in verse 14, he said, I'd like to come and see you soon, but if I can't, verse 15, if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. I have written these six chapters of 1 Timothy to you, Timothy, so that you'll know how to behave yourself as a minister and be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now, he's mentioned the house of God. So Timothy's at a church in Europe or Asia, Greece or Turkey, of that time. And it's called a house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is to be a pillar and ground. It is the support and the foundation for the truth. We defend the truth and we promote the truth. We declare the truth. We defend the truth. We're the, the, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, what is the truth? Oh, that's what I'm building up to. The, the, the truth is in verse 16. And without controversy, there is no debate about this matter. What I'm about to read to you is a list of fantastic events concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And they are all passive voice verbs about Jesus. They, that you are only touched in them indirectly because it is all about Him. And without controversy, do not debate this. This is why I take such a stand on this passage, because the Holy Spirit tells me it is incontrovertibly great. Amen. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. It is not a mystery to us. It is a mystery to the world. They celebrate things that are utterly ridiculous. Philadelphia burned because they barely beat the New England Patriots with a weird-shaped ball, <laughs> celebrating their MVP quarterback, though he had been outperformed by the other quarterback. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it is okay. It is better than okay. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is God's operation in the world. Number one, God was manifest in the flesh. Number two, justified in the spirit. Number three, seen of angels. Number four, preached unto the Gentiles. Number five, believed on in the world. Number six, received up into glory. Amen. Notice that all of these are about someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ because the first clause gave it away by telling us God was manifest in the flesh. God came to earth and took on a flesh body. That is Jesus Christ. So first of all, we had to have the virgin birth. We had to have God becoming flesh. So God became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit proved him to be Jesus Christ by his miracles, by his doctrine, and by his resurrection from the dead. Romans 1.4, if you want a verse. Just scene of angels. Angels announced his birth individually. Angels announced his birth collectively to a group of shepherds. Angels comforted him when he was tempted by the devil. Angels carried him into heaven. Angels comforted him in the garden of Gethsemane. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. Jesus was preached to Gentiles. Amen. Gentiles who worshipped everything from bugs to totem poles. Jesus was preached to them. Jesus was believed on in the world. Gentiles believed that message. Jesus was received up into glory. These are six transcendent, stupendous, incontrovertibly great events concerning Jesus Christ. And sometimes the Lord gives us lists. This list is to define what are we supposed to be the pillar and ground of in a church. We're supposed to be the pillar and ground of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Son of God, and these things happened to him. Right. He did these things as well. Now back to John chapter 12, where the list is half that long. It's only three, and we'll only deal with a third of it.
today. Now is the judgment of this world. Our salvation from hell, our eternal inheritance, and such like benefits were ignored in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Only indirectly can you jam us in there. Because the issue was, God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus. Jesus was justified. Jesus was seen. Jesus was preached. Jesus was believed. Jesus was received up into glory. That's the way I like it. I don't care where he sends me. Do you love him that much? Of course I would like to go to heaven. Of course I know I am. But that is irrelevant to lifting him up. Amen. Let's glorify him right. like that verse tells us to. The judgment of this world is a new world order under the Lord Jesus Christ set in motion by his death. That's the first of the three things here. Now is the judgment of this world. The Lord gave me this choice of words for you because you might understand it a little bit. Because when it says, now is the judgment of this world, some of you can only think about the great day of judgment and the world and its wicked being thrown into the lake of fire and the world being burned up like Second Peter chapter 3 tells us it will be burned up. But there's another judgment of this world that came into play with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So I'm calling it the new world order because it was a new world order. It was a new world order in just about every way that you can imagine except the laws of nature stayed the same. Just about everything else changed as Jesus Christ took the rule of the world from the devil, who was the God of this world. Now, let me make one of the points that is helpful for you to understand things. And that is this. God was in charge of the world in the Old Testament. God is in charge of the world today. Amen. However, in both Testaments, he had a vice regent under him. The devil in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New. Are you confused? You shouldn't be confused. God is absolutely in charge at all times. But Jesus Christ is subordinate to God, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. And so was the devil subordinate to God. The devil couldn't do anything that God didn't let him do. But God let him do a whole lot more in the Old Testament than in the New. With the dividing point being... The death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that changed things. And we want to learn those things. The prince of this world cast out. Satan was deposed from power and cast out of heaven and limited and restrained in his activities by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those people that he had held in bondage were delivered from that bondage by the message of that deliverance that came to them by the gospel and Jesus being lifted up from the earth on a cross in a Roman crucifixion would draw and did draw all kinds of men, many Gentiles to him. Those three events are closely connected, very tightly related to each other. And they're put here in this list, just like the other list of six was very tightly connected to each other. His glorification The glory of Jesus Christ is the theme of this section of John. Remember what John chapter 12, 1 told us? Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came. So we are in the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus died at the time of Passover. Jesus died fulfilling the Passover lamb. We're in the last week. But in this last week, and so from chapter 12 to the end of the Gospel of John... It's the last week of Jesus' life, his three days in the ground, and some time in those 40 days in which he showed himself alive to his apostles. But we want to notice the the emphasis on Jesus being glorified. Look at verse 23. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus being glorified in some new way was imminent. It was about to take place. And it's beautiful. And that is the theme here. Look at verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. 
Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And I taught this rather quickly, but I hope you understand that the glory there is around God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, glorify thy name in me. I have glorified my name in you, and I will yet glorify my name in you. That's understood there because it's the glory of Jesus Christ. And if you don't get it yet, I'm going to show you a few more places. Look over to chapter 13 where Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper and he makes this statement. When, when Judas Iscariot left the supper to go meet with the Jews in his conspiracy for 30 pieces of, pieces of silver to betray Jesus into the hands of the world. John 13, 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Do you see it now? Does that help you? See, cross-references are helpful. Is it scriptural to use cross-references? Did Isaiah say that to understand knowledge and doctrine is here a little, there a little? Amen. Did Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, that we compare spiritual things with spiritual? Right. This is the glory of Jesus Christ that results in the glory of God. It's called the great mystery of godliness. Because God is glorified in everything that happened to Jesus. Verse 32, if God be glorified in him, stating it again, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Now do you get it? Do those two verses help? It's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus of Nazareth. Legally the son of a carpenter. Is seated at the right hand of God with great glory. He is the head of our church. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the bishop of our souls. He's the advocate for sinners. He is everything. If I could rap, I'd rap. Meaning that I would go through the whole alphabet, but I'm afraid of stumbling. So I quit early. But the Lord Jesus Christ is great, and we want to glorify him. You can go to our website and find a man that knows how to, how to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my king. Oh, what a glory. We, I hope you see it here. Now flip over. Now John 13 is just a couple hours in front of John 17. You know the Last Supper was just a few hours in front of his trial and crucifixion. But in between, he has three chapters in which he teaches his apostles about the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And then he has his intercession prayer to the Father that's not in the other Gospels. These chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are not in the other Gospels. They're here in the Gospel of John. Look at John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus. These are just a couple hours after that, Lord, that last supper that we just looked at. These words spake Jesus. And lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The issue is the glory of God. The issue is the glory of the Son of God. In the death of Jesus Christ. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Back to John 12. Those cross-references are to point out to you the importance of the glory of Jesus Christ. Do not miss this emphasis. Because there's Gentiles in this passage, and if you miss the emphasis, you might actually believe that saving a few Jews brings glory to Jesus Christ. But it doesn't, because it doesn't fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament that he's going to save some of us scum, right. us Gentiles, Amen. far off from the commonwealth of Israel, right. strangers and aliens from the covenants of promise, devil-worshipping pagans. Yeah. Throughout the Bible, we're called heathen, 
Did you see the word heathen in Psalm 106 that Jonathan presented to us today? We were heathen. Bless God for Jesus Christ Amen. and glory that was to be great glory, not just the redeemer of a small group of people, a small flock, but other sheep I have which are not of this fold, chapter 10 told us. John chapter 11, that, 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 that the people abroad should be gathered in as well by the prophecy of Caiaphas. So here we are. The Bible in both Testaments describes our Lord's exalted position over the universe. When, why, and how was Jesus given the great glory that he now has in the heavens? When, why, how, when, why, how? Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's how, when, at the cross, why, for the glory of a reward to him. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 12, for those of you that can turn there quickly. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Isaiah 53, 12, the when, the how, and the why. It's all about Jesus. We are here today to worship Jesus Christ. My time is a-wasting. I'm going to finish on time. Those are cheap words. I'm going to try to finish on time. That's my brother laughing. That's just for a little bit of relief. I'm at high volume and I'm at high intensity. But I want you to love the glory of Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic Church gives Jesus Christ glory to Mary. When they pray the rosary, ten prayers to Mary, one prayer to our Father. Futurists. Some of us were Catholics in the past. Most of us were futurists in the past. They give all the glory to some future Jewish millennium over there on that sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, postponing Jesus Christ's kingdom, postponing his glory. They talk about his rod of iron rule as some distant event that's going to take place during some so-called millennium when the, when the zoo cages are going to all break down and the lions are going to lap milk out of a bowl along with the lambs. They have things so messed up that they've stolen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. The Apostle Paul and other first century Christians were willing to lay down their lives in energetic service and in martyrdom because they knew Jesus was on his throne. And they were not afraid of any power on earth. We shouldn't be afraid of any power on earth. Our new world order reigns over their new world order. They can talk about a new world order, and all it is is a bunch of twaddle and drivel. We have a new world order, and it's been here for 2,000 years. You say, but I haven't seen it. That's because you don't look in the right places the right way. Right. And there's a, Jesus is going to answer that for you. Look at Luke 24, since it's only a few pages to the left in your Bibles. Luke 24, to understand the when of this thing. Luke 24 and verse 26, Jesus is explaining to two men on the road to Emmaus who were dismayed that Jesus had been crucified. So they thought that all their ideas of a kingdom had come to naught. Jesus said, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? When did Jesus enter into his glory? After he suffered these things. After the death of the cross. He rose from the dead. He was seen alive for 40 days. He ascended up into heaven. He was crowned. Lord of the universe. Right. Yes, that's our Lord Jesus. Amen. His death is the basis, the condition, the means for it. Here in John chapter 12, I've already shown where his death has been mentioned. Therefore, the timing of at least the initiation of each of these three events is at Calvary's cross. The darkness, earthquake, and veil... The darkness, 
There was darkness over the earth for three hours. There was an earthquake that tore rocks. The temple veil, which was put in place by teams of horses, was four inches thick and 60 feet tall, was torn from top to bottom to show that the way into God's presence had been opened by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Every man, woman, and child in here that seeks to go into the presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ and the use of his name can go straight in. You don't need any other name. You don't need any priest. You don't need any apostle of the Mormon church. You don't need any imam. All you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. That earthquake, that darkness, that veil being torn should shout to you the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the events that took place at the cross. It is a frequent error of interpretation that we do not connect these events together. His death is worthless without his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that if Jesus died and didn't rise again, then he didn't pay for sin. Because to pay for sin is to be free from the penalty of death. 1 Corinthians 15 makes the argument several times. So death is connected to resurrection. Resurrection, if there isn't an ascension, leaves him here on earth, hasn't been received by the Father. He's not engaged in intercession for us. So they're tied together. And the, the, the ascension doesn't mean anything except geography unless he's crowned in heaven. And he was crowned with glory and honor so that Paul could write about it in Hebrews chapter 2 as a done event. It was all a done event in the New Testament when Paul wrote these epistles because it was done 50 days after the cross. He was already dispensing spoils to his church. He had led captivity captive. Now let me tell you something. That's judging the world. When the world is holding us prison prisoners in and we're captives, and he leads captivity captive. That's Ephesians 4, 8. That's a wonderful statement. Do you like the ring of those words? God the Holy Spirit chose those words. We were held captive by the devil, by our sin in Eden, by sin and death. We were held captive. But Jesus Christ led captivity captive. We became his captives. We were the devil's servants. We became his servants. We were the devil's children. We became his children. All at the cross. No wonder Paul. Paul, forgive us if we have ever neglected 1 Corinthians 2.2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's take it all back to the cross. We can find the cross in everything in the Bible. Lord, help us. Do that. Without Gentile converts, his kingdom is tiny and prophecy is unfulfilled. We are, the fil- we are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The Old Testament, and that would take a series. I want to tell you, that would take a series of the prophecies in the Old Testament of us heathen becoming some of God's children. Right. I'm going to share a few with you today. Thank you, Lord. Do not neglect his ascension in the events of glorification. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You like those words? When were those words uttered? 2,000 years ago when the lamb came into heaven. Look at Daniel 7. We'll probably come back to Daniel 7 again, but I've got to go there right now and just get those two verses in the middle of it that are so useful. Daniel 7. If you love prophecy... Daniel is where you got to get started. Daniel, the first six chapters, there is a prophecy there in chapter 2, the first six chapters are Bible stories for children. I, I speak respectfully but lightly there. Daniel 7 through 12 are the visions of Daniel and prophecies that he made. But there's a, there's a big one in 2. We referred to it last Lord's Day. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. In his dream, he saw an image made of different metals, and those metals gave him a visual picture of the five world empires. He was the top one. He was the head of gold. Then there was Persia, made of silver silver shoulders. Then there was a brass belly, which was Greece, Alexander the Great. 
Then there were the two legs of the Roman Empire made of iron. They say, history says, that Rome conquered the world in iron-shod boots. It had two legs because it had a capital in Rome and a capital in Constantinople named after Constantine. And then it had ten toes because those two legs fell into ten provinces of the Roman Empire that are the ten horns of Revelation. But there was a stone cut out of the mountainside without hands. If it's made without hands, who cut it out of the mountainside? God Almighty did. And that stone came and hit that image in its feet in the days of the Roman Empire. That's when Jesus Christ came. In the days of the Roman Empire, the Bible tells us, in the days of Caesar Augustus, a decree went out that all the world should be taxed, and that's what took Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem to pay taxes. Luke chapter 3 tells us, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, John and Jesus began their preaching ministries. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and it will not be left to other people, but it shall consume in pieces all these other kingdoms. That's Daniel 2. Did we come here for Daniel 7? Daniel 7. The five world empires are pictured as beasts. A beast in the Bible is not an individual man. An error by the futurists. A beast is a kingdom. A beast is an empire. And so we have a lion here for Babylon. There in verse 4, we have the Persian bear, the Medo-Persian bear. That's why it says it raised itself up on one side. How many sides do you have when you're a bear? You have two sides, and it was the Medes and the Persians. Verse 6 is Alexander the Great, because he's pictured as a leopard in the Greek Empire, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, is a leopard fast without wings. Is a leopard with wings faster yet? That's Alexander the Great. The beast had four heads. Those are the four generals that ruled his empire when he died prematurely. And dominion was given to it. Did Alexander reign from North Africa to India? Yes, he did. After this, verse 7, was a dragon. You've ran into... That in Revelation chapter 12, this is the iron dragon of Rome. And then a little horn comes up out of that dragon of Rome, which is the papacy of the Roman Catholic Church. Then we come down to the two verses I want, and they are a separate vision. They are a little separate part. Do not try to read prophets chronologically. When you go into Revelation chapter 12, it is a snapshot picture of the history of the world from the conflict between the devil and the church. The last verses of chapter 11 are the end of the universe as we know it. Chapter 13 is backing up and taking some details about that dragon with the seven heads and the ten horns. But 12 is a snapshot picture. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions. Now, Daniel, I thought you told us that in verse 2, because this is a separate little chapter of the vision. I saw in the night visions. These verses I want you to just savor every word. I wish I knew how to help you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help them savor every word about your son. That's how I can help you. He's helped me right here. I just want to read them to you. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. A universal kingdom and a perpetual everlasting kingdom. The Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Came where? Came to earth? Do we want to jump to the second coming? Or did he come in the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days? 
He came in the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days. Is that true from the New Testament record? Did Jesus Christ levitate off of this earth in Acts chapter 1 and was received up into a cloud and carried into heaven? Is that when he received his kingdom and his dominion? And is that when he was crowned? Oh, yes. Look at those words. Look, those are beautiful words. The Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. That's Revelation chapter 5. John weeping because there was no man found that could open the book in the hands of God sitting on that throne. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we got to turn in our back to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. There is another passage. Remember, are you with me that on John 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all these chapters, six of them, are happening within just a couple of days at the most. His last couple of days on earth. So, we have John 12, then we have 13, the Last Supper, then we have 14 through 16 about the Holy Spirit, then we have his prayer in chapter 17. I want 16 because it's going to tie a few things together for us. John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He's speaking to his apostles. He's not speaking to the world at large. He's not even speaking directly to us. He's speaking to his apostles. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He never went away from us. He did go away from the apostles. For if I go not away... The Comforter, that is the name for the Holy Spirit given in chapters 14 and 15 right here. The Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming, called the Comforter. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Notice there's a judgment of the prince of this world. And he's the prince of this world. And this world was judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit came on the apostles and they went out and they reproved the world. They rebuked the world. They fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. When they stood with, with philosophers uh, in Athens, Greece, the most intellectual educated men on earth, the Apostle Paul mocked them for their ignorance and their superstition of their ridiculous religions. He quoted their own minor poet to prove that they were contradicting themselves. He declared that God had a judge that he was going to send to destroy the earth, and he had raised him from the dead to prove that he was coming to judge the world. This is the message presented to the philosophers in Athens was incredible. They were reproved because Paul said, God in times past has winked. He's winked at all your Gentile ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Right. Oh. Yeah. Do you understand what happened at the cross? I want you to understand what happened at the cross. Was there a judgment of this world? Amen. There's a judgment in word. They heard a message they had never heard before. There were barely educated fishermen that came out of Galilee, Galilee that went into all nations and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and reproved the world and told them they were ignorant and superstitious and if they didn't repent, they would, spend, they would be destroyed. Right. That's Acts 17. Hopefully we can, sometime we'll come back to it. It's beautiful. The Holy Spirit would reprove the world. Great gospel success with Gentiles was told. Let me show you an example of this reproving. Look at Isaiah 2. Isaiah chapter 2. What if it takes us this Sunday and next Sunday? Should I be ashamed? No. It's for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not ashamed. Though a little tiny bit. 
I don't want to bore you with the glory of Jesus Christ, but it shouldn't bore you. I just tied in a passage that we're going to have to wait a little while to get to, but John 16 is powerful. The Holy Spirit took those apostles that were once afraid and had fled the presence of a mob in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were no longer afraid, and they declared the truth. They would declare Satan in a man. They would rebuke anyone, anywhere. When they had a chance to sit down with the appointed governor of Judea named Felix in Acts chapter 24, Paul reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, so much so that Felix trembled. Look, watch this. This is one of many prophecies. Isaiah 2. Remember what I just told you. The Holy Spirit was dispensed by Jesus, given, sent by Jesus to earth, to his apostles, to reprove the world. Keep that in mind. Isaiah 2. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. That is not Jewish. That is Gentiles. That is New Testament era of the gospel under figures of speech and similitudes and signification of the, of the prophets. That's beautiful. That is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the household of God, the household of faith and the house of God. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. If you take that earthly Jerusalem, that's where the preaching started. Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. It's all about him. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And all nations will flow. Not everyone in all nation, but people from all nations would flow to the truth. Verse 4, And he shall judge among the nations. Now is the judgment of this world. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. John 16. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Does that mean all the world's nations are never going to fight anymore? No. It means God's elect, called by his gospel and reproved by his apostles, are going to come out of all nations. They're going to beat their swords into, into plows. They aren't going to fight anymore. And look at this church. Look at you, sister. Look at us. We're from all over the place. We have people here representing most of the continents on earth. Are we at peace with each other? It's beautiful. Amen. Verse 4, he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ ruling from Jerusalem on high and Mount Zion which is above. You say you want more? I was hoping you'd say that. Amen. Isaiah 11. Look at Isaiah 11. Let's see if it's Sounds familiar to what we just read. Did you like Isaiah 2? I hope you liked Isaiah 2 in light of John 16. How about Isaiah 11, verse 1? And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Amen. Any confusion about who that is? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Jesse. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. 
When did that take place? With the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 16, John 12, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11. And we've just tithed the word of God. You say you need more. Oh, okay. Micah, Hosea, Joel, Micah, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Michael, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Michael. Micah, not Michael. Michael the archangel. That's in Revelation 12. We're in serious trouble. Are we in a time warp? Micah 4. Micah's got some other things in it. Well, maybe I'll share those too. Then we'll take our break. Micah 4, verse 1. You're going to notice some similarity. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. Here we are, afar off from Israel. We've been rebuked and we have submitted and we have repented. And we have bowed the knee to the God of Israel and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all people will walk every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. There's going to be a difference. There's going to be people of all nations continuing to follow their national deities. But we're going to follow the Lord our God. Look at Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. How long did it take for Israel to get from Egypt to Canaan? You heard it this morning. They wandered for 40 years. Keep that length of time in mind. Micah 7.14, another prophecy of the gospel. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. There is some prosperous Feeding coming. According to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. How long was it coming out of Egypt? Forty years. What is here promised for forty years? Marvelous things. Who did marvelous things with mighty signs and wonders? Jesus Christ and his apostles for forty years. The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. When the apostles would pull some of their miracles... One moment, the pagans would be wanting to kill Paul. He would do a miracle. Then what were they doing? Worshiping Paul like they were worshiping God. The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. This is the tremendous change coming. We'll get to that reproving work of the Holy Spirit through his apostles when we get to John chapter 16. But I had to mention it to you because it is another list of things that the Holy Spirit was going to do. He was going to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. Because, not, not judgment to come, because the prince of this world had been judged. And so there was judgment for the apostles to declare because the prince of the world had been judged. The world was no longer under the universal dominion of Satan with all Gentile nations blinded. That devil was now confined from deceiving all the nations so that the gospel could go into all nations. If it had not been for the cross and this change of binding the devil in Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3, the gospel would not have come to you or your ancestors. The word of God was only for one people on earth and it was the smallest of all peoples and it was Israel and for 4,000 years no one else had the truth. It is a very select genealogy from Adam down to Abraham, down through Moses and, and the nation of Israel. Jesus overcame the world, brethren. You come back to John chapter 16. 
and we'll get his last verse before he starts his prayer to his father. We are hours from the crucifixion. John chapter 16 and that 33rd verse. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world and judged it in various ways, which is what we're studying right now, to comfort the apostles. Jesus judged the world sufficiently for us to be conquerors in him. Does Romans chapter 8 say that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us? And where that occurs, it's Jesus Christ's love, not the Father's love. That's Romans 8, 35 through 37. The love of God the Father is in verses 38 and 39. Greater is he that is in us because of Jesus than he that is in the world. Who's in the world? The devil is in the world, but Jesus is in us. So 1 John 4 tells us that greater is he that is in us, the Spirit of Christ, than he that is in the world. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Right. What, our faith in what? That Jesus is the Son of God. It's all about Him. Amen. We overcome the world in any way that you want to look at it by our faith in Jesus Christ. They can kill us, and it puts us to sleep in Jesus. That's what it's called in the New Testament. They went to sleep in Jesus. By his legal death, we also have vital, practical, and final deliverance who hath delivered us from this present evil world. Galatians 1.4 His blood shed for us and the gospel of our faith, the testimony of Jesus Christ, and our sacrificial lives win the day. Revelation 12.11 They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony that they held and they loved not their lives unto the death. That is victory. Victory in Jesus. Great efforts have been made to extirpate Christianity from the world to no avail. Both now, then, and later. Right. However you want to look at it. Great efforts were made and they failed because Jesus is king and Jesus judged this world and there was a new world order in place that they could not overthrow. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and may each of us live for that king who is coming to destroy this world. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ.